0: to Kahalui Baptist Church. Uh, this will be our second sermon through the book of Revelation. Am I on? Can you guys hear me? You can? Okay, cool. Alright. Uh, the title of the sermon is Take and Read. Take and Read. And we will cover the first three verses. Now, we're taking some time, this is the second sermon, kind of as an intro, last week was a, was a true intro, and this week will be a, uh, a little bit of an expansion as we start to work into the actual body of Revelation, but this is why we're taking so much time, uh, so much effort to lay an interpretive framework uh, before we get into the body of Revelation, because once we do, once we do... It'll go all sorts of haywire, all right? And so we want to have a good foundation to interpret. I received a letter. I received a letter. I told you about this letter last week in the sermon, titled to Pastor Randy. I don't know the person who it is from. They are not from Maui. They don't go to our church. Uh, I don't know if they found me on some list of pastors or whatnot, but uh, I received a letter, and timely in the Lord's providence, right before we were to begin our time through the book of Revelation, it begins like this, Pastor Randy. The Bible has always been about the African Hebrew and their descendants' experience from Genesis through Revelation. Being the first of mankind from which the Savior would be born is the reason this heritage of men and women are the true children of Israel today. They were the initial occupants of that land, and today, as a result of slavery, the descendants primarily live in the United States. He goes on to say some other things, and pertaining to the book of Revelation, he says here, The book of Revelation was written in symbolism to conceal the truth about past, current, as well as future events. Its true meaning was not to be revealed until all elements were put into place. That moment has now come. You can imagine as I'm getting this, I'm reading this with quite eager expectation. Use of the Bible to believe Jesus Christ is a Caucasian as is a Caucasian is the deceptive influence of the Roman Catholic Church, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abomination of the earth, revelation seventeen5 This historical lie regarding the lord's race can easily be disproven, Rel- Revelation 1, 14 to fifteen He has hair like wool and feet like fine brass, burnished bronze, not the description of a Caucasian. Authenticated relics images are still present, confirming the Lord and his disciples were black Hebrews. Additionally, Ethiopia declared Christianity the national religion 59 years before Rome. On God's word within Revelation, the following will occur this season. Six things. Six things. Number one, Trump. Donald Trump. The Antichrist, or beast of the earth, having the Mark 666, Pence, and Session, will be exposed for treason. They and their supporters will fall from God's grace. Number two, Vladimir Putin, the beast of the sea, will try to dominate the United States but fail. Number three, the Roman Catholic Church, also described as Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Uh, And institutions implementing its apostate racist religion will be no more. Number four, major turmoil and war will soon result post the U.S. Embassy move to Jerusalem. Number five, a descendant from Adam's third son, Seth, who now lives amongst the oppressed, cleansed of sin and survived Satan's attempts to kill him, will rise with the spirit, power, and authority of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. His return is the actual reason God blesses America. Number six, Christ, our Lord and Savior, will give the unrighteous a limited amount of time to repent before God destroys this earth and makes everything new. Close quote. I have two more pages full. Would you like to hear them? Maybe later. So, I wish I could say this was the only type of interpretive scheme that is imposed into the book of Revelation. Now, for sure, some are more radical or more extreme than others, but there's all sorts of different takes and reading into or deciphering out of uh, the book, different approaches, and so it's very important in times like these with so much confusion that we take a measured, hopefully biblical approach, and I'll give my best crack at it, uh, to the book, and that's one of the reasons why I'm giving you so much foundational work and overviews as to different approaches and things, because so much of this is here in it. Blood moons, Hank, all right, just like all of it, it. just It's never ending, and so we need to really take a carefully, well-focused, polished look at what is actually being said and communicated. So let's pray. We have a lot to cover. Let's pray and get started. We need the Lord's help. Father in heaven, through all of the confusion and cloudiness and mystery that often surrounds this beautiful revelation, it is a gift from you to your people to encourage us, to spur us on to holiness, and to make us more and more like Jesus until the day we see you face to face. Lord, may it have its intended effects each Sunday as we walk through it. May you stir us to wonder and worship so that we are literally joining with the throng of Revelation 4 and 5, saying, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And we desperately need your Spirit. We ask that you would help us to clothe ourselves with humility, with kindness, and with love for one another as we discuss these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so that's how we opened up, all right? That's, that's how we opened up. So last week, uh, we began our series through Revelation, and I unfolded four different approaches that godly, wise, studied men of God take to this book of Revelation. Now, most people uh, are only familiar with one approach, and so as a result of that, last week, your, your brain may have been spinning a little bit, all right? Anybody like that? All right, that was by design, okay? If you felt like, man, I just, ooh, I struggled, okay? That was actually my pastoral design, kind of pressing your brain to its capacity so that you can grow, all right? So if you left, just know uh, that was the first sermon, this is the second sermon, I've been studying this for a very long time, all right? And it still gets cloudy for me. So second sermon, okay, little by little, I hope, by the grace of God and through the power of his spirit, that it will become more and more clear each passing week and such that you will, at the end, if God allows, you will love this beautiful book. You will hate your sin, and you will cling to Jesus, your mighty Savior never to let go again. So this is awesome. So last week we saw the ABCs of Revelation. The four approaches, um, I'll give them to you. They are very simplified explanations. Okay, last week was actually a simplified explanation. This is going to be even more simplified. If you want more, listen to last week's sermon, ABCs of Revelation, kahaluibaptist.com, and you will get the more a uh, fleshed-out approach, and there's a lot of nuances to each of these, um, just by way of review. The four approaches, number one, the preterist approach. The preterist approach to revelation sees almost virtually the entire book as having already happened in the past, in the past. It's already done. It's not a future prophecy or anything about what will to come. It's symbolic for the here, now until Jesus returns. Nothing future. Mostly. All right, that's the preterist approach. They would say it was mainly fulfilled in the year AD 70 with the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. Number one, preterist approach. All you need to remember, past. Second approach, futurist approach. What do you think that means? The future. They would see almost the whole book as occurring in the future. All right, so um, from chapter three or chapter four onward, they would see all of that occurring in the future. Uh, with some exceptions depending on how the camp is. But that's the gist. All occurring in the future. There are two main subcategories. So under future, two subcategories, all right? Uh, You can hear all about those in last week's sermon. Check it out. For now... The major element of revelation occurring in the future is the literal 1,000 year reign of Christ, which we won't get to until the very end. So just tuck that far in your shelf a couple months from now, and we'll come back to it. Futurist approach. Number three, historicist approach. The historicist approach. That is actually a very sloppy form of what this letter is. It is a historicist approach. It is looking for times and seasons of the church age from Pentecost to Revelation. All right? From, from Pentecost, the beginning, to consummation, the end. This is a form of the historicist approach. They would see the, each chapter as an outline of church history and ask, where are we now? the historicist approach, and then the idealist approach. The idealist sees the book of Revelation as principles, a book of principles. No specific historical person or nations are in view, but rather these are principles to encourage every group of believers throughout all generations until the return of Christ. That's the idealist approach. Now, every approach of those four, preterist, futurist, idealist, historicist, all of those apply the book of Revelation like an idealist. They have to, they have no other choice. Okay, they all apply it like an idealist. There's pros and cons to every approach. There truly are. There's pros and cons to every approach. And again, many godly people. to each of these. Then we moved into background information, date, writing, genre, numbers, symbols, all those types of things. From there, we spoke about controversy as a result of these views. So you can see we have four different approaches, subcategories under each of them, all the ingredients for controversy. And so I pressed, and I will continue to do this, The need for humility. Everybody say humility. Humility. All right? You have to have humility when studying and discussing this. And I would encourage you to hold your views with what I'm going to call an open hand, not a closed hand. There's some doctrines in our church we will hold with a closed hand, which means if you try and take those doctrines, you get the this. I'm just kidding, right? But for real, that that we will divide over. We will. You say Jesus is not God or is a God or is a created being. We're going to have issues here, okay? This might not be the place for you, or you might need to submit your belief to the Lord, but we're not going to budge. That's a closed-handed doctrine. Jesus is the only way. close handed very clear in Scripture. This doctrine, open, all right? The official stance of our church, I have it memorized from the Southern Baptist Faith and Message, section 10, last things, this is what it says. I quote, God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end, close quote. That's the official stance of our church. So if you want to know what do we officially believe, that God in his own time and his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. That's a really good way to say nothing. That's that's scholarly jargon for we don't have a closed-handed approach. Which means in that regard, whatever approach of these you take, for the most part, open, I'm good. So if you leave here and you say, I'm given sermon, Pastor Randy, I don't know that I agree with that. I'll say, Cool, search the scriptures and, and love others and cling to Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Yes awesome. We're good, right? So, and and I would encourage you to do the same, all right? It's not something to fight. It's not something to throw elbows over or to bite one another about. It can be a really good sharpening for your humility. So, uh, moving on from there, we saw the value of the blessing, the blessing of revelation, which is where we're going to pick up today. So, I have three points. Number one, God's revelation, number one, God's revelation. Number two, number two, our desire or our response. So, God's revelation, our response, and number three, our reward. Our reward. Number one, God's revelation. Verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Anybody ever see the show, The Price is Right? Anybody? Yeah? A few people? I used to watch that show as a child. I don't know, know why. Maybe that's all that was on TV, or I was fascinated, but, but you know, they spin the wheel, and it stops, and then sometimes they get to see, to choose behind the curtain, right? Curtain one, two, three, and you, and they have to choose one, and you don't always know what it is until the great unveiling, and you're like, what's behind curtain number three? And then what are they going to choose? The show built anticipation over the mystery that was to be revealed. And in like manner, the book of Revelation is a revealing. That's what the word means. It is an unveiling, an uncovering, a displaying of something. So let's read it again, and I'm going to point some really important words out to you. Number one. The and here's the first word. It's the first word of the whole book, actually. The revelation. It's an important word. That's that Greek word, apokalupto or apokalupsis, depending on the form. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Here's another really important little word. To show. If you're reading the ESV, to show. His servants, the things that must soon take place. Here's another set of words. It's one word in the Greek. He made it known, that word right there, boom. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he, last two words, he saw. He saw. Revelation, to show, he made known, he saw. This is going to be really important going forward, and I'm going to tell you why right now. The first word, as we said, it's an unveiling, the revelation, a showing. And we said last week that revelation is the apocalyptic genre. That's the type of genre that we are dealing with. It is an apocalyptic genre, but I didn't give you the whole picture. It's actually a mixed genre. So uh, here's what I'm talking about when I talk about genre. We have different genre. Let's use movies because more people watch movies than read books, but it's a very similar concept. You have uh, some movies that are documentaries, Right? It's, a, it's a documentary. It is a historical narrative, so to speak. It is true based on fact. You have other movies that are uh, sci-fi, science fiction. So even though it looks real, real actors, real things, it, it's not grounded in reality of any sort. You see? And then you have other movies that are a type of historical narrative that are based in reality but not entirely true, right? So you can think of like your Civil War era movies. that There's a lot of things around them that will be true to form and facts, but they're reading in a, a, a made-up narrative. And it's fascinating, think of the movie The Patriot, or something like that, right? Uh, it's, it's read into it. And so these are different genre of movies. And so we know when I'm watching a documentary, I should be expecting facts. And when I'm watching uh, the, the Avengers, and Thanos snaps his fingers, I, I'm not terrified that I'm about to be evaporated, right? Because the genre of movie is telling me how to interpret what I'm seeing, okay? So same thing with books. So you have poetry, historical narrative, epistles, which are letters, from Paul to a church, Uh, and so Revelation, the broad category, is apocalyptic literature. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but it's actually a, a mixed book. It is a mixed book. It has a few other types of genres which add to the complexity of interpretation. So the other two genres that we find are letters. There's actual letters from Jesus, the head pastor, to his churches, the seven churches, and we're going to get into those. So those are actual letters to actual churches woven in to the fabric of this apocalyptic genre. And then there's also, John takes the role of a prophet. So he stands in the the role. He's letting us, the reader, know that he is standing in the role of the Old Testament prophets, speaking on behalf of God, calling the people to covenant faithfulness. And so we have apocalyptic elements, we have prophetic elements, and we have... Letter, epistle elements, all kind of blended together, which you can see, oh, I'm already confused and I haven't even started reading the book. This is pertaining to the genre. It is a mixed genre. Now at this point, if you're in a class, you would take a time to start talking about how being that revelation means it's an unveiling, right? we're displaying something, the the interpretive approach should be literal. So God is showing us something, so we're going to take a literal approach. And then you might take a whole three or four classes to talk about the literal approach to figurative language as Roy Zuck, Charles Ryrie, John Wolver do. And their excellent books, How to Read the Bible, Classical Dispensationalism, all these things. Those are excellent books, and all of the points are good. Let me give you the first guideline that they would offer to a literal interpretation, how you interpret figurative language. Here's the first guideline, okay? Number one, always... Take a passage in the literal sense, unless there is good reason to do so otherwise. Close quote. That's the first. They give six. And they're all really good. Okay? I just want to say that. They're all really good. Uh, Always take a passage in its literal sense, unless there is good reason to do otherwise. Now, I'm going to spare you the class, all right? This is a sermon. You can find those six principles. Like I said, they're really just good. And if we were dealing with any other book of the Bible, I would say, yes, amen, 120 percent. I agree. But when it comes to Revelation, when it comes to Revelation, I might suggest we have very good reason to do otherwise for virtually the entire book. That's what they said. Unless there is good reason to do otherwise. And I might say, when we look at Revelation, and many scholars and other people from the other side would say, we have really good reason to do otherwise, for almost the entire book. So, with that in mind, let's get into apocalyptic genre. I want to give you a few features, why am I doing this? Because I want you, the reader, to have a gauge on me, the preacher, and my interpretive elements. In other words, you shouldn't believe that it's an apocalyptic genre just because I say it. I want to show you (laughs) why I say it, so that you can weigh the arguments to come, weigh the the weight to come, okay? Weigh the weight, that's like a uh, double. It's highly symbolic. Apocalyptic genre is not intended to be interpreted in an overly literal manner. Now, this past week, we've all been glued to our TVs, Hawaii News Now, Maui Now, Maui News, whatever it is, looking for updates on Hurricane Lane. Waiting, Ooh, ding, and everybody's. Uh, I was at the shelter and everything, ding, and everybody started looking at their, their phones at the same time. We're, we're glued to it. We're, we know to expect the, a factual report, which is different than, say, if I was reading a satirical newspaper like The Onion or The Babylon Bee, which is a Christian satire type of newspaper, and they ran a headline like this recently. And I quote this recent headline from Babylon Bee doTERRA. Introduces a new line of heavy-duty essential motor oils. Close quotes. Some of you are like, what? DoTerra? You're, you're you're glad you don't know. If you no. Now, are we to believe from that headline that DoTerra is actually releasing heavy-duty motor oil? No, because we know the umbrella term of satire, it is satire news, it is kind of poking fun at, so I know not to read it literally. North Korea got in trouble, actually, on this, and they made a little spoof when they reported an Onion article, which is another satire news, and they ran it as if it was factual in their own newspaper, (laughs) right? Oops. Revelation must be approached in consideration of its genre, lest we distort unintentionally the literal meaning. So I want to give you a few, just a few fast, formal features of the apostolic, sorry, not apostolic genre, but of the um, apocalyptic genre that you will see as you read. Number one, you're going to see visionary accounts. Dreams symbols, visions, and on and on. Number two, you're going to see heavenly mediators. We already saw this in verse number one. God, angels, or other creatures, heavenly mediators. Check this out. Verse one, the revelation, again, that's that word apocalypsis or where we get the word apocalypse, the apocalyptic genre, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So the father gave Jesus to show his servants the things that must soon take place. How did he make it known? He made it known by sending his what? Angel to his servant John. And you're going to see angels all over the book of Revelation. You're going to see all kinds of angels and all sorts of creatures, heavenly mediators. That's another characteristic of the uh, apocalyptic genre. Number three, you're going to see highly symbolic language. We saw this last week, threes and fours and sevens and twelves and tens and all sorts of things. You're gonna see content number four that depicts dualism between this world and the heavenly world to come. So think of a duel. You guys know what I'm talking about. The duel. I challenge you to a duel. Right? Uh, it's it's a either or. Right. You're going to see a type of dualism as you read. There's not really a gray area. It's either the people of God or the people that follow Satan. It's either God or the beast. It's it's a type of dualistic content between this world and the spiritual world to come. And so the end of Revelation, you have what? The new Jerusalem coming down onto the earth. It ends with the victory of the other world. It's another characteristic of the apocalyptic genre. You see its function. Last, this will be the last one I give. There's a few others, but they're a little bit more complicated. Uh, You see its function is to encourage the readers to live holy and faithful lives in the midst of suffering or crisis. It's the function of apocalyptic literature, to, to encourage the reader to live a holy or faithful life in the midst of difficult or tumultuous circumstances. Now, if we fail to recognize a genre again, we are in danger of interpreting the book in ways never intended, just as if we read satire as literal news. We must take this into account, which means this book communicates through or via symbols, through or via symbols. And so the two camps of hermeneutical approaches, one, if I had to sum it up, would say literal first, symbolic second. Literal first, symbolic second. The other side, symbolic first, literal second. Symbolic first, literal second. The literal meaning, the terms, the words on the page, secondary. I'm going to be advocating for the second approach, hermeneutically. Symbolic first, literal second. Symbolic first, literal second. On the basis of the genre and the way it is intended to be read. That's what I'm going to be arguing or demonstrating and let me let me show you a really important biblical example. There's over 500 Old Testament allusions in the book of Revelation. 500. The most often quoted are Psalms and Isaiah. The most extensively alluded is Daniel. So the most often quoted, in other words, just point allusions Psalms and Isaiah. The most extensive is Daniel. Now, look at verse 1. Again, I pointed those words out to you. This is why. Number one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, here it is, he made it known, mark that word, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, 28 to 30. Daniel 2, Daniel chapter 2, verses 28 to 30. As you're turning there, if you were a first century Jew, or Gentile for that matter, and you were reading the Bible, the Old Testament book of Daniel, you are probably going to be reading what's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Okay? We have an English translation of the Greek Bible. They had a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible because not all Jews knew ancient Hebrew, even though they spoke modern Hebrew. So they had a Septuagint. And if you are reading this in the Greek, you would see a very close parallel that is undoubtedly what John is referring to here in Revelation 1, already at the outset, aligning himself with Daniel of old. Daniel chapter 2, verse 28 through 30. Let's read it. And I'm going to show you this. Oh, I didn't click there while I was talking. Here we go. To verse 28. The background, Nebuchadnezzar just had a disturbing dream of an image. He asks for somebody to interpret this dream. Nobody else could do it. Daniel's the guy. Daniel answered, oh, sorry, uh, verse 27, Daniel's speaking. There is a God in heaven, check this out, who reveals, guess what that word is? Revelation, verse 1, who reveals mysteries. And, ooh, check this out, he has made known, same Greek word as Revelation 1, he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the, this is also an important word which we'll talk about later, latter days. Latter days. Now, wait a minute. If we were just flip over to Revelation chapter 1, it ends in verse, uh, actually a few times he says it, verse 1, the, the middle of verse 1, uh, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Or the last uh, few words of verse 3, for the time is what? Near. And so what Daniel saw in his time as far off, John is now coming, receiving the revelation, the revealing, and is now saying, it's not in the latter days, it's near. Soon. It's about to start happening. And we see all these parallels here that point to us some very important interpretive clues. So as we think about our interpretive key, we see the same words showing up in Daniel 2 that are in Revelation 1. And what happened in in Nebuchadnezzar? How was how were the things communicated? Through a dream? with visions not meant to be taken absolutely literally but symbols that communicated a literal reality you see and in like manner so revelation ought to be interpreted interpreted symbolically as primary with literal as secondary or as a means to get to the literal book of Revelation is a message communicated to us through symbols and visions. And so as we get to those portions, we're going to examine them with that grid. And it's going to happen really fast with seven letters to the churches. All right? So we'll get there really quickly. Revelation. God's revelation. It's an unveiling. Awesome stuff. Number two, our response our response. He says that John bore witness to all that he saw, show. These are all words. It's not that he heard, but what he saw. And what we're going to see again and again and again is John, for instance, he hears the number of 144,000. He hears this number, and then he turns and he sees something different. He sees something else, and this happens multiple times in the narrative as you read it. And so what is our response to these types of things? I would say, number one, let your response be an eager desire. Man, God is showing you something. He he has given us this gift of revelation, this unveiling. Let your desire to read it and understand it be like, like a child on Christmas right you get a package from your parents or a gift and it's wrapped and you just you can't go to sleep until you see what it is that should be our desire an eagerness let us unwrap it time we should have the responsive time this is a beautiful gift that will yield its fruit to those who take the time to meditate on it and seek it we should give energy to this task If God is showing us something, we should give mental energy. We live in a culture, this might be hard for you to believe, that is not conducive to rigorous thinking. I know, that's a shock. It's a shock to me. We live in a culture that is not conducive to rigorous thinking. I know this from experiential knowledge and from... This personal practice. Uh, whenever I preach a sermon that I know of depth, I know I'm going to get some feedback from you that, to the effect that you liked it, but you didn't, all right? And so, some of you, this is the case. I'm going to ask you to think rigorously through these things, and I'm going to challenge you to do so, because the reward is great if you do, and I want you to be blessed. I want you to have the blessing of revelation, to take the time, the desire, and the energy to do these things. The best gifts in life all demand those three things, desire, time, and energy, don't they, to fully enjoy, to fully enjoy. I got my son a bow and arrow. I might regret this later. got my son a bow and arrow, small one. He loves shooting it, and I explained to him, son, to really enjoy that thing, you got to practice. I put time in. You got to miss a lot time before you start to hit. So it is with Revelation. We got to practice. We got to put in the time. We got to put in the energy and the effort and pray and ask God, and He will reveal it. It is a book of unveiling. He's not trying to hide it from you. He shows you and He tells you. Just take some time and effort. I said last week it takes about an hour and a half to read aloud. Hour and a half to read aloud. I'm going to challenge you to do that sometime. Why? Because verse 3 says this book was meant to be read aloud. Consider this. This came to a a culture where literacy was low. Not everybody could read. Not everybody even had access to books. And so if they wanted to hear the message of Revelation, somebody had to what? Stand and read it aloud. I'm going to challenge you to read it out loud in one setting. This is another reason, actually, for some of the numerical structures that are present. It allows the hearer to have mental anchor points to follow along as they are hearing it read. So, for example, if you hear a set of three or four or twelve or seven and you hear seven trumpets and I'm reading about the fourth trumpet, you know how many more are still to come. Three, it helps you to orient yourself in the story. This is another reason for some of these numbers and also another cue that they aren't to be taken literally. The Gospels are actually structured in a similar manner. Do you think those are the only Beatitudes Jesus gave in Matthew 5? No. They're structured for the reader to hear and receive under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit preserved for our Christlikeness. Read it aloud, and you'll see some of these structures. You'll see this repetitive cycle that John takes. I was encouraged, about four of you told me you had done so this past week, which is pretty awesome, and each of you said you were quite encouraged through it. It took effort, but it was a blessing to see, and you see things when you read it in one setting that you wouldn't have seen if you just read it a little bit at a time. Amen. So take some time. I challenge you. It doesn't have to be this week. You've got a couple months. You're like, months? Yes, months. You have a couple months? Try to read it aloud. So that should be our response, an eagerness, a desire. Number three, our reward. Our reward. Verse three, blessed. Blessed, happy, joyful, fulfilled. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The book of Genesis, actually the whole Old Testament too, ends with a curse ringing in our ears, doesn't it? The soul who sins shall surely what? Die. And just Genesis is just a march of death, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. The book of Malachi ends with a curse. And now the last book of the Bible will leave ringing in your ears, blessed, blessing, promise, fulfillment, redemption, joy to those who hear. Beloved, in our time through Revelation, God aims to stir us to hope. True, abiding, unquenchable hope, even amidst great pain, even amidst hurricanes and threats and disasters and sorrows, it aims to stir us to persevere to the very end. And how does it do it? It gives us a picture of the end. It gives us a picture of the end. The method is very similar. We're very well aware of it. Anybody ever purchase a, a workout program, P90X, Insanity? Yeah, T25, yeah? You guys know what I'm talking about? And, and you do this. No, some of you are like, nope, I don't work out. Right? Uh, you, you, you get these, these programs, and they come with glossed pictures of guys or females with, like, decked out, ripped. And, and the message there is, if you do this, this is the end. Put in the work. Suffer. This is what you'll look like. I've been doing it for eight years. Still not there. <laughs> Still not there. But for some... That discourages us. Why? Because you put in the work, you don't see the results, or you're just not strong enough, and you throw in the towel. Good luck next time. Try our next program a little bit easier. Unlike that, although similar, Revelation paints a picture of the end. And the beauty of it is he motivates us through reward, and not your own effort, not your own strength, not your own willpower, not how dig how how deep you can dig, not how hard you can work. The blessing of revelation encourages us by giving us a picture of God's victory of how God's fighting for his people, of how God is ruling and reigning, and in spite of the best efforts of the beasts and the Antichrist, not a single one of his children will be lost. And by so doing, it motivates you and encourages you that not a single one of you, in spite of your suffering right now, will fail to reach the shores of the celestial city. You will see your Christ, your king arrayed in splendor, fighting for you. And what a movement of the spirit. I didn't tell Nick I was going to do this. I didn't even tell Nick I was going to talk about this, but he read Romans 8:28. Revelation is a pictorial form of Romans 8:28. All things work together for good. All things, all things for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What that says in verbal form, revelation paints in vivid picture in a way that you'll never forget. Beloved, what troubles your soul this morning? What troubles your soul? Who? Maybe that's a better question. Who troubles your soul this morning? What discourages you from following Jesus radically? Does it not comfort you to hear that God is seated on his throne in Revelation 4 and 5, ruling, reigning with all the creatures gathered around him saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Does that not encourage your soul? Oh, yes, there is a blessing to reading, hearing, and obeying this book. Let us do so diligently this week and the weeks to come. I close with Revelation 5, 13 to 14. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let us do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, grants. That you would stir us to worship. Grant that we would be eager to see and hear and join in the message of revelation of worship to the Lamb forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now is the time of invitation.